Happy Easter. It is a wonderful day. One of my favorite holidays. I get excited about Easter, sort of jump up and down and greeted the kids this morning. We sang, good morning, good morning, good morning. It's time to write. And they, they didn't necessarily appreciate that. But Easter is such a critical day to celebrate in our faith. Because it's the day that our Savior not only died for our sins on Friday and, and paid the price for our sins, but He rose again. And He didn't stay dead, and He didn't stay in the grave, and he, we serve a living Savior. There's all kinds of words that we already sing about that, that have to do with Easter. We, we, we can sing about justification, that, that we are right before God because Jesus took our sin on the cross. Redemption, He purchases us from sin and, and claims us out of sin. This morning, I want to go a little bit different direction and think of the word reconciled reconciled. It's on your worship folder. And, and all these words have different meanings, but reconciliation has to do with relationship. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But Easter is a, is a fascinating day because it's all about God Je- through Jesus reconciling us to himself, right? Getting this relationship right. But then we go home and we go to our weeks and we live in a world of broken relationships, don't we? Of difficult relationships. Because I don't know whether you realized it, but the person you're married to isn't perfect. Your kids aren't perfect. Your neighbors aren't perfect. Your coworkers aren't perfect. And so we live in a world of broken relationships. And it's consuming. I think as I look at my counseling and times I spend with people, the issue that consumes more time than anything else that people talk to me about has to do with broken relationships whether it be a spouse or a a son or a daughter or or a parent or, or a friend. Broken relationships are just part of this world we live in, but the cross and the resurrection has an answer for that. And this morning we want to talk about that. I was reading this week about a company in China called Tianjin Apology and Gift Center. It's a company that delivers apologies and attempts to facilitate reconciliation for you. Any of you entrepreneurs, this is a great idea. The company's motto is, we say sorry for you. (laughs) I can just picture this. I I can picture if some stranger knocks on my door and says, is Susie there? Your husband wants to say he's sorry. (laughs) Here's some flowers. Can you picture that? I don't picture that going very far to reconciliation. Right? Um, The idea of the company is that people can pay money to others to do your work for you, including apologizing. It's interesting, in the article about, about the company, one of the, the heads of the company said, I can't help but thinking that maybe this isn't the best way to reconcile. You think? <laughs> but reconciliation's hard. We don't know what to do sometimes. It's hard to swallow our pride and say, I'm sorry. It's hard to restore And so today we want to talk about broken relationships. And just to sort of give you a plan of what's going to happen, I have two two little sermonettes that we're going to do. And the first one deals with this relationship. Because ultimately, all relational issues come down to our relationship with God. And we'll explain that. And we'll see how the cross and resurrection offers reconciliation to God. And in case you're a, a blank filler in her, that's point number one on your notes. I'm going to give you both points right up front. Then we're going to spend some time in communion and worship, and then we're going to come back and talk about this relationship, the horizontal relationship. 
And we're going to see how the cross and the resurrection offer, in fact, I would say demand reconciliation with each other and to each other. And so what a day to be able to talk about healing and healing in relationships, starting with our relationship with God. First point, the cross and resurrection offer reconciliation to God. Turn with me to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verse. we'll be looking at 6 through 11, but we're going to start at verse 10. If you don't have a Bible this morning, there's a black one under a chair somewhere around you. You're welcome to take that and open that up and turn to Romans 5. And if you don't have one at home, take that with you. Our gift to you so you have God's Word. The cross and the resurrection offer reconciliation to God. Romans 5, starting at verse 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconc- for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved to His life. Let me read that verse again. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved to His life. And we see Paul start just a beautiful description of what it means to be reconciled to God. But we have to start by making sure we understand what reconciled means. Reconciled is different from some of the words we use. And, and one of the things we can do as Christians all too easy is throw, throw out these huge words. We have reconciliation and justification and sanctification and, and purification. And, and we go on and on, right? And, and sometimes it can be tempting, well, I'm just going to throw out some words and look a little more spiritual. But all these words have different meanings. So this morning when we come to reconciliation, I don't want it just to be a 25-cent Christianese word. I want it to be a word that we understand and know what it means. See, it's different from justification. In Romans 5.1, the first verse in that passage, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we see in that verse justification. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith. And the idea of justification is that it's a judicial term that says we're declared righteous. It's the judge that says you are righteous. Now they say they're not guilty in our system, but it's Jesus saying you are righteous. That's justification. It's a state. It's, it's, it's something that happens to us. But then in Romans 5.1, he goes on, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that peace gives us a hint of what he's going to talk about of reconciliation. See, justification is being declared righteous. Reconciliation is restored relationship. And when you think reconciliation this morning, think both two words, peace and relationship. Peace that everything has been made right. Relationship that there is a relationship that's been restored. Some of the definitions for for reconciliation, the exchange of hostility for a friendly relationship. It's like a real official way to to basically say we we got together again and made things right. Or a reestablishment of an interrupted or broken relationship. Webster says, cause people or groups to become friendly again after an argument or a disagreement. And so reconciliation, whenever we see that word, it's about relationship and restored relationship. You know how it is. You get in a fight with somebody. You get in an argument with somebody. You can get to a point where you've talked about it and made things right, right? But that's not quite the end. Because now the the, the next step is how is this relationship going to continue? How is this going to work out? Are we going to come back and truly be forgiving? 
I have a couple chairs up here, and I love just visual examples. And the chairs facing each other represent a relationship, a, a friendship. And when I think of reconciliation with God, it helps me to think of reconciliation here on earth because I get this. I'm in these relationships all the time, and it helps me understand this relationship. And so two people are friends. They're getting along great. And there's a cycle that happens in reconciliation. And the first part of the cycle is that something happens to destroy the relationship. In human terms, maybe someone uh, offends the other in some way, lies about them, or says something hurtful to them. Something alters the relationship. And one or both of the parties turn their back, and there's no longer relationship. And so that's the first step. Second step, then, if this is going to be resolved, if this is going to be reconciled, is something has to happen to change the status quo, right? Make sense? If you're arguing with somebody, you're upset at a friend, just not talking about it never helps. Did you catch that? I know that's, that's our default. If I don't talk about it for a week, we're going to be friends again. No, that doesn't help because it's still festering. There's still an issue. Something has to happen to restore this relationship. Make sense? And in human terms, maybe that's an, an apology. Maybe that's coming together and realizing there was a misunderstanding. And so something begins to clear the air. Someone has to take the first step and say, I'm sorry, or let's talk about this. And so then there's an opportunity. And I bring the chair forward because the third step is a choice. What do we do with that information? What do we do with an apology? You know, if someone's hurt you and they come up and apologize, you have a choice at that point, don't you? Either I'm going to stay ticked off at you, and we are not going to restore this friendship, or I'm going to accept your apology, and we're going to move forward. So that's the third step in the, the process of reconciliation. The fourth step, then, is a restoration of relationship to what it was. And this is the part that is sometimes so very hard to do. How do we get past hurts? How do we get past the situation that has happened? So that's what it looks like in human terms. But in terms of God, what does it look like? And that's what we want to explore in this passage and in this first part of today. How do we have a right relationship to our Creator after we've turned our back on Him? How do we come to terms with the sin in our lives and the junk in our lives? One author wrote, reconciliation is the restoration of friendly relationships and of peace. So you have relationship and peace where before there had been hostility and alienation. Ordinarily, it also includes the removal of the offense which caused the disruption of peace and harmony. So we want to talk about this, and we want to talk about how this happens with God. Look back at Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, and we're going to see all the parts of that cycle right here in these two verses, actually in some of the verses before too. The first step that in understanding our relationship with God, with getting this relationship right, is we have to understand that there was a broken relationship. There was a broken relationship. There's a problem in the relationship. This goes all the way back to Genesis 3 and Adam and Eve when God said, don't eat of that tree. You can do anything else. Don't eat of that tree. And they're like, oh, the tree. And they they disobey and they, they immediately rebel against God. And at that point, sin entered the world. God is holy. God is just. And that was Adam and Eve shaking their fist at God and turning their back on God. And the relationship is severed. 
before we just start blaming it Adam and Eve and saying it's all their fault, every one of us has sinned. Every one of us has rebelled against God. Now, I know on, a, on an Easter morning, we have a mixed group here. I know many of you are saved. And my prayer for you this morning is that as we review the gospel, that you will glory in it, that it will be amazing, and it will be a chance on this Easter to celebrate anew. If you're here this morning and hearing this for the first time, I pray that this will be a life-changing day for you to get this relationship with God right and to see what happens. But we see that all the way back to Genesis 3, we've sinned. Paul starts in verse 10, For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. And enemies there is a very strong word. It means hostile to God, hating God. And and part of any sort of reconciliation is we've got to realize the truth about the relationship. If we come to God and say, I just sort of don't like God. I'm I'm living a good life. We're not being honest about the relationship. We're not being honest about what our sin does. Paul says right at the beginning there, while we were enemies. There's no middle ground. You don't just sort of kind of like Jesus or kind of dislike Jesus. You either love him or hate him. Because, and you might say, well, how do you know that? Because you either follow him or you don't follow him. And Jesus says, those that follow me love me. They're my disciples. Those that don't hate me. There is no middle ground. In Philippians three eighteen and 19, and some of the verses we'll put on the screen for you. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Paul starts with the first step in the process a breach in relationship, enemies. Here's the thing. There's only one chair that's pointing away. We're the ones that rebelled. We're the ones that walked away from a God who wants to love us, who wanted to walk with us in the garden, who wanted to to commune with us. And we caused a divide. God is righteous. God is just. He must respond to sin. He can't just ignore this. The wrath of God also must be fulfilled now because we have turned our back. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the first step is the problem, the broken relationship. We, in our sin, have broken our relationship with God. He cannot allow us into His presence for all eternity while we are in this sinful state. Second step in that cycle that we talked about is there's a solution. Solution. The cross pays for the problem and offers peace. And it's, it's, it's an exchange of hostility for friendship. And it happens on the cross. If we, if we read on, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. That's the cross. That's when He hung on the cross in our place and said, they, they can't pay for what they've done. They have offended a holy God. And so Jesus said, I will take their place. This is what changes in the relationship. See, we on our own will never turn back to God. We're stuck in our sin. But Jesus came and died on the cross. He took Ron's sin in his body. He took Phil's sin in his body and Bob's sin in his body as he died there 
in my place. And he paid the wages that were death. It's so fascinating because Paul says this happened while we were still enemies, while we had turned our back. In human terms, how often do we, are, are we willing to do something so sacrificial for somebody who's still hating us? No, we're like, they need to apologize first. Right? And we wait for that because I'm right and they're wrong. We'll talk about that in the second half. But God was right. He is just. And while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. You see a number of things. Number one, you see that the person doing the work here is God. It's interesting that that word for reconciled is what we would call a passive verb. It means we don't do it. God does it. God did all the work through Jesus on the cross. On that Good Friday... And the reason it's Good Friday is because he paid for my sin. That is good. It's not by my doing. God is the initiator and the executor of reconciliation. But we also see the why. If we want to understand a little bit of what Paul's saying here, look up at verses 6 through 9, just right above that in chapter 5. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person one would dare to even die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved from him by him from the wrath of God. And so Paul expands what changed. The solution was Jesus came and took our penalty. We've got to also ask the why. Why would God do this? He didn't have to. And the why is right there in those verses above, especially verse 8. But God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, he died for us. God still wants that relationship. And so he initiates reconciliation we could never do. He initiates reconciliation we don't deserve, that we are incapable of. Because he loves us. It's because he cares so deeply for us. And so at that moment on that cross, the rupture, the cause of the rupture was addressed. The rupture was healed. Through Christ, God has given us all the opportunity to have a right relationship with the divine creator, even though we're the ones that walked away. This is incredible. The the story of Easter is amazing. One author compared it to a king proclaiming amnesty for rebellious subjects, for the criminals in his land, and he urges them to accept his gracious pardon while it's extended to them. God says, I know you walked away. I know you sinned. I know that deserves death. But I send my son to die for you. And I urge you to accept that, he says. That is how we move forward. And so we get to the next phase in reconciliation, the third step. There has to be a response, remember? How do we respond? And in this case, the response is how do we respond to the cross? How do we respond to the empty tomb? Do we say, oh, that never happened. I'm just going to stay in rebellion to God. Or are we willing to change? Are we willing to come to faith in Jesus Christ? See, reconciliation is never unilateral. You can't force someone to be reconciled with you. I've tried it with my kids. You will love your sister. 
you will love your brother. You will hug right now and everything will be fine. And you can see it. It's like, and one of them maybe is like, I'm like, no, you're not really sorry. And you know, we're, we're trying to teach. We're trying to force this. And so many times we are little kids with God. And he says, I gave my life for you. I gave all to try to restore this relationship because this is how you flourish. This is what you were created to be in. And we fight it. But he won't make us. He won't force us. We have to receive it. Romans 10, 9, a couple chapters later, it says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And he says, how do you do this? How do you respond? You believe that Jesus died for you. And you accept that sacrifice and say, I will follow Jesus with my life. That is the next step in reconciliation with God. It's a personal relationship. He's offered forgiveness through the cross. He's offered forgiveness through the death of his son. But only when that forgiveness is accepted by faith is the compact completed and reconciliation takes place. Repent and believe. This is amazing because so many times we think about the cross and we think about Easter as a way to be saved for all eternity, right? So I don't have to die. It's so much better than that. It's not just about fire insurance. It's not just about avoiding a penalty. But God says, I want to be reconciled with you. I want to be in relationship with you. I want to pour my blessings on you. I want to be with you in life. I want to love you. See, ultimately, Christianity isn't about a set of do's and don'ts. It's about saying, I love my God. And I love what he's done for me. And so I want to follow him with my life. Whole different way of viewing religion that our world just doesn't understand. Why don't we want to do this? Sometimes I'm like, why wouldn't anyone want to do this? And there's so many reasons because our self is so strong. We don't want to give up things. Hey, I like my sins. If, if, if I accepted this, I might have to give up some sins. Not even realizing that those sins are bondage and those sins are tearing us down and those sins aren't even what will give us a fulfilling life. It's destroying us. But we're slaves to sin. We're addicted to self. Sometimes we just can't understand why God would even do this. You mean all I have to do is believe? I need to do something. Maybe the pastor needs to tell me how much to give at the offering plate or how many times I need to come to church. No, none of that has to do with salvation. It's accepting what Christ has done. Sometimes we struggle to see how anyone could actually love us unconditionally. Maybe we've had just a very difficult past, a very difficult childhood, didn't see mom and dad loving us. So it's hard for us to, to accept that someone would actually love us with no strings attached. God does. That's what the cross and the empty tomb's about. He took care of all the strings. He took care of all the details and says, come into relationship with me. Fourth step that we saw in the cycle, there's a result. The rest- relationship is restored. The parties are, are now friends again and in relationship again. And that's the end result of what God desires for us as we walk with him. 
For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, now that all that's taken care of, shall we be saved by his life. His life they're referencing the resurrection. Jesus is alive. We sang about that. He's alive. It's really hard to have this relationship with a dead person. And so the, 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 the empty tomb says, I am still with you. I still want a relationship with you. Oh, it's a beautiful thing. Verse 11 goes on. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Think about that. He's, he's portraying a renewed relationship. I can say I'm sorry, you can accept it, but until I can rejoice in our relationship, it's not right. We know that from marriages. We know that from all our relationships. Same is true of God. And God says, I did this for you, so now I want you to rejoice in me, enjoy me. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation cross and the empty tomb gets this relationship right if we'll accept it one of the questions out of that is how much rejoicing in god are we doing is there evidence of a restored relationship am i spending time with him in the word seeing his wonderful words to me am i spending time talking to him in prayer am i listening to him or am i still angry at him for things in my life i don't like Rejoice in a renewed relationship. Also in verse 10 there, it says, we shall be saved by his life. And there's, uh, and this is just so rich. When, when we think of we shall be saved by his life, there's a couple things there. One is the present day, that he is alive, he is with us. It's an ongoing relationship. The empty tomb reminds us that we are with Christ, but also that, that reminds us of a future deliverance, that I'm going to spend eternity with Christ. When I think of Christ being alive and living in me, that's the daily power for deliverance from sin. That's the daily renewing of relationship. When I think of what happens when I do fall, Jesus says that he is our advocate fighting for us on our side. That's the empty tomb, his presence in this relationship. He's all in, guys. When we come to him, he's all in, knowing every one of your weaknesses, knowing that you walked away from him, knowing that I fight him sometimes, he's still all in and says, I'm here. I'm in this relationship for the long haul. What an amazing thing. Praise God for the resurrection. We were reconciled as imperfect creatures. God is perfect. We are not. And he still wants that relationship. That should blow us away. All of these things remind us that we are reconciled to God. He did the work. We were the ones that moved. As you think about that this morning, if you're a believer, if you know Christ, start by just thinking through in your head all the things you were saved from. And and I don't mean to get us all down and depressed, but until we understand our offense, we don't even appreciate the solution. So in your mind, if you're a believer, think of all the things you're saved from, all the ways that we turn our back and we shake our fist at God. And then picture in your mind drawing a huge cross over the top of that. Because it's done. It's taken care of. And God says, I am making sure you're right with me.
this morning if you haven't accepted Christ. If you've never heard this, if you've never realized that we have defied our Creator and the end of that is death, the end of that is eternal punishment in hell, but there is a way because of Easter, because of God's work, then today's the day to accept that. To say, Jesus, I am a sinner. I repent. I follow you with my life. Save me. Save me. The cross and the resurrection aren't just about getting our relationship right with God, though. Getting this relationship right. God intends that that affects us. He intends that that meddles with our lives. See, sometimes I actually think it's easier to talk about this relationship. Because, okay, I know I'm a sinner. Everyone here knows that we're sinners. Everyone here knows that we need God. But when we get to these relationships, now we're getting to real life. Now we're getting to someone that's offended me, someone that annoys me, someone that obviously is wrong while I am right. And we think that, don't we? And so this is where we we sort of figure out if we really believe God reconciled us to himself. And so we can't go with in talking about reconciliation without talking about the horizontal relationship along with the, the vertical relationship. See, Paul deals with that together so many times. Jesus dealt with that when he said, I have come, and if you love me, you'll keep my commands, and here's my command, love one another. And the two are tied together. Our theme for the year is love God and love others. First commandment, love God. Second, love your neighbor as yourself. We can't separate those. And reconciliation doesn't separate those. Second point is the cross and resurrection give the gift of reconciliation to each other as family. Offers reconciliation to each other as family. And as we think about relationships, and we're, we're primarily talking about relationships with other believers here, but as we think about relationships that we struggle with, there's an answer. God has given us the answer. But we so desperately want to take it into our own hands because of some things that we'll talk about in a moment. I want to turn to Ephesians 2, the second passage this morning. Ephesians 2, 14 through 19. Ephesians 2, 14 through 19. We're going to find out that the cross and the empty tomb also reconciles us to each other. In fact, it demands that we reconcile to each other. If we don't, if we don't resolve these horizontal relationships, we're mocking the cross. We're mocking what Jesus did. We come to Ephesians 2, 14, and some of you know Ephesians 2, and you know that earlier we have Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for by grace are you saved through faith, and this this wonderful passage about us being saved. Where does Paul go next? Okay, let's talk about your relationships with each other. He ties the two together. And just to give a little bit of background to help us understand, he is speaking to to Gentiles and Jews together. And the Gentiles and Jews back then, they, they pretty much despised each other. It would be this side of the sanctuary and this side of the sanctuary, and nobody crosses the middle. Okay, And so there was this, this looking down and this, this um, anger, this hatred toward each other. And now they're all being saved. And they're all sitting in church together. What do you do? And Paul says, the cross and the empty tomb solves that. Let's read why. Ephesians two fourteen through 19. For he himself, speaking of Jesus, for he himself is our peace. I love that. Not just that he brings peace. He is our peace. 
who has made us both one, and he's talking about people that are, are um, broken in a broken relationship, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace. Oh, this is so key. Create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility, speaking of the hostility between them. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And so Paul continues to talk about reconciliation here. He uses a really strong word that, that their hostility is, is really deep. And he's saying there's an answer to this and it's already been taken place. And, and you see the same cycle we talked about at first. You see the hostility, words like strangers and alien and hostility and far off and near. There, there's a conflict there. And, and this for them was, was having to do with, with race. It was having to do with ways that they went about things. For us, it could be anything. It could be anything that divides us. Maybe different preferences. Maybe a, a, a carelessly spoken word. Maybe a, a deeper hurt. Maybe gossip. I don't know what it is, but it can, it can separate us. And we cling to those things. And we're hostile. And just like in a family, the more we live together and, and we, are, we are a church that knows each other well, there's all kinds of opportunities for conflict. But we need to know it for what it is. All conflict that, that we don't deal with comes from sin. It comes from the fall. And so that, that's, that's part of understanding how Jesus takes care of it. If our conflict with each other comes from sin and Jesus dealt with sin then that has implications for how we treat each other. It has implications for whether I hold on to an unforgiving spirit, whether I hold on to pride, whether I want revenge, whether I need to know that you're really sorry. All of those things are sinful attitudes. See, in all my time of dealing with relationships between people, I've never seen one that's one-sided. Never. There are always things both sides contribute to the argument, to the conflict. Maybe it's 90-10. Maybe it's 99-1. Usually it's a little more. Because even how we approach the conflict, how we hold on to things, goes in the face of a reconciling God. But Jesus is our peace. Jesus is our peace. And really what Paul is saying here, in the end... Jesus reconciled us both to God. The sin issue, that's between God and us. We want to make it with each other. We want to point out each other's sin. It's really fun. I can feel better about myself if I point out your sin. But Jesus says, I've reconciled their sin. Their sin issues are mine. You don't have to deal with it. And so then in verse 15, he says that he might create in himself one new man in place of two. And when he talked about what changed, what Jesus did, he said, because of what I did on the cross, you are now both, whoever's in conflict, both children of God. 
And, and I love the imagery there. He says, you need to think of yourselves as no longer two, but one. And we think of that in marriage, the two will become one flesh, but that's also true of relationships in the kingdom of God. We are one body. We are together in this. And so for us to even allow conflict to persist, to, 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 to wallow in it, is, is challenging that we are both one in Christ. I'm not saying conflict doesn't happen. We're a fallen world. Of course it happens. Are we willing to deal with it? Are we willing to move forward? And for me, the cross and the empty tomb says, oh yes, this is easy to deal with. We can move forward because relationships can be healed because of what Christ has done. So he says, I've made one man in place of two, making peace. I've reconciled you both to God in one body through the cross, killing hostility. And what a beautiful picture that is freeing because I no longer have to kill your hostility with God. I no longer have to wait until you get right with God because that's between you and God. I am free to forgive and to accept and to restore and this is the band-aid, not just a band-aid, this is the healing salve for, for relationships to realize God is dealing with that person just like God is dealing with me. That person's a sinner just like I'm a sinner. So let's, let's be in relationship and deal with this together. And so we've got to come together and decide to repent and forgive. Verse 17, and he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near because they were in different places. Through him, we both have access to one spirit, to the Father. There's one doorway. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. You're no longer divided, but you're fellow citizens. You are one with saints and members of the same household of God. We're family. We're family. And so that aspect of being family under God can cover any conflict we have. In fact, how we resolve conflicts becomes opportunities to show God's grace. I I love it when the world says, I don't see how those people are getting along. (laughs) We love Jesus and he's covering it. I look around and we have just a whole lot of different people here. We have a whole lot of weird people here, myself included. So don't, 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 the pastor called us weird this morning. We're we're strange and we're different and we come from different backgrounds and we have different ways of doing things. Praise God. And so that becomes an opportunity to show the grace of God, to say God's grace on the cross, his living inside of me because of the resurrection. That's enough for us to be brothers and sisters in Christ and to show it and to be in relationship. For this to happen, though, we've got to be humble. We've got to come to each other in conflicts with humble repentance and ask for forgiveness. And we have to be forgiving. When you think of forgiving, think three words. Forgive fully, freely, and forever. It's not forgiveness if it's not those three. Fully, freely, without strings attached, forever. I'm not going to bring it up again. But we come with humble repentance. I will repent of my part without expecting anything in response. Because I'm a sinner saved by God's grace, because he's given victory over the sin that divides us, we don't have to let it divide us anymore. And this is good news. 
to say any relationship in Christ can be restored. Any relationship. There's all kinds of different things we could talk about at this. There's times where we want to restore and the other person doesn't because they're still clinging to anger or revenge or, or hurt. And so Paul says, if, as a, if at all possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. But it's, in a, question, it's a question of will I give up my pride? Will I repent and say, I will love you because God loved me? I will love you because he saved me when I didn't deserve it. Pursue relationship. We get this relationship right, and we can't help but get this relationship right. If we're in conflict with each other, we've got to go back and say, do I believe Jesus took care of sin? Do I believe it, both in me and in others, and that I don't have to be God in their lives? Love a story. Two friends were together, and one picked up another from the, the airport, and he had just gotten a new, new truck. And they both were into trucks, and some of you have trucks. And um, picked up his friend at the airport and noticed two big scrapes in the passenger door of his new truck. What happened, the man asked. My neighbor's basketball post fell on the truck, Tom replied sadly. You're kidding. How awful. I, I, it still smells like new. What's even worse is my neighbor didn't feel responsible for the damage, he said. I immediately rose to my friend's defense. The author wrote, did you contact your insurance company? How are you going to get them to pay for it? Let's go after them. And Tom said, this has been a real spiritual journey for me. After a lot of soul searching and discussions with my wife about hiring an attorney, it came down to this. I can be either be right or I can be in a relationship with my neighbor. Since my neighbor will probably be with me longer than this truck, I decided that I'd be, rather be in a relationship than be right. Besides, trucks are meant to be banged up. So I got mine initiated a little early. What a great way of viewing it. Our pride wants to be right. But village, we're in relationship with each other. The cross and the empty tomb says we're going to be in relationship with each other for a long time. For all eternity. So let's get this right. Let's show how much the cross and the empty tomb impacts us by showing how much we love each other.